Hello all, this is Artie Kulik, the host of the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, the podcast of SeedSync.com. We are back again this week, the greatest podcast for everyone to listen to here during the coronavirus quarantine crisis, whatever. And I couldn't do it without the greatest of the quarantine crisis workers of Ty Kulik, the other greatest host. How are you today, Ty? Hi, everybody. Doing good. And people listening who may have said this, I've heard it a lot, but especially with the quarantine going on, I do... I guess look like Seth Rogen with this beard I got growing right now. Well, we'll have to start YouTubing and do some. I you know I guess I look kind of like Zac Efron, so we could do like a yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> there are movies there. Most of the time during this crisis, we're trying to give you guys things you can do. Or last week, we just talked about some of the things that we've lost and gained because of this. And next week, we're going to do all about The Last Dance because it's the most amazing thing ever. But we got to see the last two episodes before we do that. And before I get into our topic... I was. You can go to, I talked about how I was going to be on this other podcast about the G.I. Joe cartoon, Joe on Joe. It is live. It is out there. You guys can go hear me and uh, Mr. Joe Slepsky just talk about the sexiest of all sexy things out there that our wives are all into, which is a toy line and a military cartoon from the 1980s. Yeah, and you guys talk about other stuff though too. It was it was an interesting listen, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, from someone that has no idea what the hell we're talking about. Which, <laughs> yep. Again, not to make it again, not to make it too hot for everyone out there, but you're right. It wasn't just GI Joe. We also talked about Star Wars and role playing games. So and politics for a little, for <laughs> yeah, a, hot a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> So, no, we're not going to do that now. What I wanted to do is give kind of some more ideas of things people could do, watch, uh, just hear us talk about some things that are entertainment-wise during our quarantine. And we've covered a few things, but I was thinking about this the other day. I was going through some old movies, and then obviously with Disney+, Plus, you have all those old Disney movies, all the new ones. And I thought, you know what, what are... I don't want to say the best animated films, and this isn't ever. We're just doing our lives, basically. But what were the ones that we appreciate the most or had the biggest effect on our lives? So that's kind of what we're going to do, Ty. Talk about some animated films that we think people need to check out because they're important to us. Yeah, I thought this was when you gave me the idea for what we were doing this week, when you told me what we were going to talk about, I thought I would be able to rip this off pretty easily. Two things. I haven't seen that many animated movies, and of the ones I've seen, I haven't liked a lot of them. So this was actually a lot harder for me than I thought it would be, but I was able to get my five. Yeah, and up top, again, this isn't a definitive ranking, even though the very last one I am going to talk about is far and away my favorite animated film ever. Like I said, some of these are interesting. Some of these are things that people may know that they were, oh, I remember that, that I'm trying to encourage you to get back to. I mean, some of the same things with yours, Ty. I mean, we have some obvious ones on here. But again, these are the movies that were really important to us. I don't have Little Mermaid or Moana or Brave or anything like that. And that's not because I dislike women. I love women. My daughter's favorite movie is Moana. It's just these the ones I picked, I like more than those. Like Moana is a great movie. Uh, Little Mermaid is a really good movie. It's just the ones that I picked, I like better than those. Yeah, and kind of a note on some of the Disney stuff here. I remember talking to my wife, and I said, what are the most important animated films ever? And she brought up Little Mermaid because it started Disney's new golden age. Uh, For Mm -hmm. those that don't know, you had Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and all that stuff. And then there was this kind of middle period, like a couple of decades, where Disney was not this powerhouse. They were, yeah. and they were putting out movies not everyone really liked. Now, there are some, it's not on my list, but some I think people should check out, which I have checked out since Disney Plus movies like Sword in the Stone, 
These are a little bit different, these very late classic Disney period films that people don't, they, they thought the studio had lost its way. And then they made The Little Mermaid, and it just changed everything. So, yeah. And also, you have, a, I know you have at least one Pixar movie on here, but uh-huh. I didn't have any Pixar movies on here. And this is what I'm going to tell you. Including movies like Cars, Cars 2 and Cars 3, I have not seen a bad Pixar movie. Yeah, but that's the thing with me is I thought it was going to be so easy and I could just do five Pixars. I pared it down to two and I only picked one of the two. Yeah. Pixar makes great movies, but I was able to pare it down. Well, that was my thing is, again, what's important to me, the Pixar movies are good movies. I like to sit back and watch and, you know, here's my hot take on Pixar. A lot of the movies have almost the exact same storyline. Mm-hmm. They're about loss in one way or another or about gaining your own name, whatever it may be. They do them all well. The animation is incredible, but in the end, the Pixar movies to me they're they're a nice thing for me to sit back and go, oh, that's enjoyable. Oh, the movies I picked here are movies I could tell you right now have a very big impact on who I am as a person. Yeah, the movies I picked that have resonated with me for so many years are movies I can go back and watch, or if they're on TV, I'm going to sit down and watch them. Now I'm going to start off here with the most problematic pick, and you talked about how you know you don't have these movies, and people are going to say, "Well, you don't like movies about women or whatever." This movie I'm about to tell you is extraordinarily sexist. <laughs> it's uh, I actually watched it last night. I haven't seen it in a while, but I watched it last night, and I'm like, "Ooh, that's a problem. Ooh, that's a problem." Just problem after problem. But I would be lying, and I mean absolutely lying, if somebody talked to me and said animated movies name name your top five off the top of your head this comes out immediately it's a movie from 1981 called heavy metal i asked you ty if you'd ever heard of this and you said vaguely how did this get made just did episode where they talked about the movie cool world which i remember cool world and i remember it not being good but they brought it up and i vaguely remember probably i was gonna say either you or oldest brother talking about it i know like the picture has like somebody with wings that's all i know about it okay so Really brief history here of this for those of you that guys don't know. Again, this movie's from 1981. There was this magazine called Heavy Metal. It was like artists drawing these comic strips, basically. They all had different things. It was an adult magazine. There was nudity in it. There was sex in it. There were drugs in it. There was all this stuff. Well, they made this movie. As a matter of fact, it's produced by Ivan Reitman. And you look at the names of the people in the movie, they're all the Second City guys. There's uh, John Candy, Eugene Levy, Joe Flaherty, Harold Ramis. Uh, And I mean, again, this was a been way early in their careers. The story of the movie itself, I think, is actually pretty cool. The animation in this movie is amazing. (laughs) It's really good. And it's called Heavy Metal. There's, at the time of what they, I guess, thought was heavy metal type music. There's some Sammy Hagar on there. (laughs) Oh, Some boy. Blue Oyster Cult. Um, Devo has two songs in it, as a matter of fact. They're not heavy metal. Devo's no. too <laughs> rad to be heavy metal. <laughs> no, right. So the movie starts off, and it's this very, or the whole plot of it is basically there's this big green ball called the Lochnar telling this girl this story about how it's the sum of all evil, and through all of space and time, it causes evil. And there's all these little vignettes about this Lochnar basically destroying people's lives. But the movie starts off with a space shuttle-looking thing. And again, the the animation is great. This is the age of hand-drawn. And suddenly you see this, like, hot rod car with an astronaut in it drop out of the shuttle. So when Elon Musk thinks he's so damn original for shooting that car into space, he stole it from heavy metal. And... (laughs) 
and the car, like this big rocking music or something, the car comes onto Earth and it goes to this old country house and the astronaut walks in and you see his daughter like, Daddy, go look what I brought you home. And the green ball comes out and melts the guy. And again, people get melted in this. People get shot. People get their heads cut off. There is Jesus. full frontal nudity, male <laughs> and female in it. And like I said, a lot of sex, a lot of drugs. <laughs> it's, But to me... As a kid watching this, it was almost kind of like taboo. And I know there was like Fritz the Cat and all that other crap. Mm -hmm. But this was, I I played Dungeons and Dragons, and this had a very Dungeons and Dragons type story in it. And it it, it had these cool visuals, and it had this music that I thought was totally cool that my parents wouldn't like. And it it just really had an effect on me, I guess what I was going to say. Like I said, I went back and I watched it last night. And it's very, very, very problematic, very sexist. I mean, sexual violence in it. The last story, which is all about this badass woman defeating this evil thing once and for all in this whole evil empire. She has to be naked, of course. And her armor has to be the most revealing damn armor. But it's a kick-ass movie. I'll say that. It's still, I, I watched it. I was still enthralled with it. I just know that, yeah, it's problematic. And before I go on, I do want to say there is one story in this. And it's uh, where Eugene Levy and uh, Joe Flaherty, John Candy, they all play the voices in it. Where some alien ship kidnaps this really big-breasted woman, and then they have a whole discussion about how robot sex is great. And she will only marry the robot if they have a Jewish wedding. He's like, oh, boy, Jewish wedding. It's just so strange, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds almost like alternative comedy before alternative comedy was was a thing because all the people involved in it. Oh, yeah. And I, one other quick story I do want to say, the reason I thought about this is when I was in high school, I worked at Chuck E. Cheese. You and, sure did. And I remember there was a, out in St. Louis where there's the Clarkson Six Cinema. Around mm-hmm. that time, every like Friday or Saturday, they do some midnight movie, like a Rocky Horror type thing. And one time they did heavy metal. And I remember I went with a bunch of guys that were cooks, and they all decided, again, I'm in high school, and of all the bad things I've done in my life, drugs really hasn't been my thing. But they all decided to take acid before we went to go see it. And I'm like, no, no, I'll be okay. And I remember sitting there watching it last night, trying to imagine, because the movie, everybody said, oh, it's a cartoon that's trippy. It's really kind of not till late in the movie. And especially if you're taking acid, there's a scene in there in a World War II bomber with all these zombies and their guts pouring out and them ripping people. No, thank you. And it would have probably drove me nuts. But anyways. Yeah, you would have been in an asylum, I bet. So moving on from heavy metal to something a little bit more palatable to everyone out there. lighter fare. (laughs) But but again, I want to start off with that to talk about it. But you had a movie on here, which I think is on everybody's list. And I'm going to have a little bit of a hot take on it. Well, I think this is the quintessential Disney movie. People say, what about, like you said, Snow White or Bambi or Little Mermaid or blah, blah, blah. There, to me, there's no better Disney movie than the original animated Lion King. Love this movie from the moment I've seen it. Our father has said that it is one of his all-time favorite movies. So it, when I watch it, it always makes me think of him. I remember when my wife was pregnant with our first kid, we saw it in 3D, and it was the first movie I ever saw in 3D. And when Zazu comes flying at the very beginning of it, a little kid in the theater reached out and tried to grab him because that's how real it felt to this little kid because that's how real it felt to me. But everything about this movie, this is the first movie that ever made me cry. This is the first movie that I bought the soundtrack to. This is the first movie that I learned all the words to the songs in the movie. I loved and still do love everything about this movie. I even was one of the few people who enjoyed the updated 
quote unquote live action remake. The, the other made. animated version? Yeah, the other <laughs> version they did with new voices. But I enjoyed that as well. I thought that was good. But to me, Lion King, you said all these Disney movies have a story. And yes, Simba, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen this, but Simba loses his father very early on. And his uncle Scar kind of convinces him that he did it, makes him run away. They have these great scenes in the jungle with Timon and Pumbaa and Simba. And you see Simba growing up where they play Akuna Matata, which is one of the greatest, not just Disney songs, but one of the greatest songs ever written. You know as well as anybody how much of a music snob I am. I think that's one of the greatest songs ever written. And the movie, it does. It follows those typical Disney things of boy loses parent, boy goes to find himself, boy comes back home and saves the day. And for me, that's exactly what I want. I think the movie came out in 1994. So I was 12. That's exactly what I wanted to see. And I watched, I remember watching it again a year later and liking it, watching it three years after that and liking it. And as I mentioned, being married, taking my pregnant wife to see it, we're both sitting there sobbing, watching it, saying how great this was. Going to see the new one. And when the music starts, there's something about, maybe that's what it is for me. There's something about the music in this movie that just pulls me in. I'm immediately hooked. I want to watch it. I'm fully on board love the characters of Timon and Pumbaa. I love Zazu. I think Simba's one of the best written characters ever. And I think it was Jonathan Taylor Thomas who played his voice as a kid and then Matthew Broderick. In the 90s, that's some star power. Oh, yeah, no. So I mean, talk about getting star power. And like Jeremy Irons was Scar and Jeremy's Iron, which we'll talk about. But Jeremy (laughs) Irons was Scar and James Earl Jones is Mufasa and the guy from that sports show on NBC in the nineties, the African-American fellow who played the voice of Rafiki uh, sports. I was the name of the show. Oh, he plays uh, the voice Robert Keown. Yeah. Yeah. He plays the voice of Rafiki in that. Um, I believe Mr. Bean is Zazu. Whoopi Goldberg plays one of the hyenas. Like it's just got star studded. Ta- I love everything about the Lion King. And I won't take, I'm, I'm curious to know what your hot take is because I think this is the best Disney movie ever made. No, I'm going to tell you what my hot take is. It goes along with my um, my Pixar thing. First off, I'll admit, this is probably the greatest film Disney's ever made. Okay. And I include, that, on board. I include that with all the Star Wars movies that they've made. So, <laughs> okay. the new ones. Um, right. But uh, first, and I'll tell you, the first five minutes, the circle of life or whatever, is the most amazing mm-hmm. thing I've ever seen. I've only ever seen the movie once, though. What? This is going to be a weird thing as we talk about animation. A lot of these movies... Like, animation seems to be such a big thing, and it's, like, everywhere and things like that. But I go see none of these movies in the theater. And if I don't go see it in the theater, I probably miss it down the road. Lion King, I remember I watched, and it was like, oh, it's supposed to be like Hamlet. It's supposed to be this. And I was like, yeah, it's just one of those movies that, oh, yeah, it's a very, very good movie. I just never really, like with Pixar, you make an incredibly competent movie. I just don't know what it is. Now, having said that, I did go see the Broadway show. It's the most incredible thing I've seen on Broadway in my life. And it it actually makes me love the story a little bit more because you're right. It is a great story and they do really well. You know, not really a hot take, I should say, but I've only really seen it once. And it's been one of those things floating on Disney Plus. And actually, after you talked about it, I'm like, maybe I should watch it again. People who were dogging the new one they made because, oh, they didn't change anything. I don't think they should have made another one. But again, why would you want them to change anything? Like they took out the very obvious, overtly nazi-ish song be prepared and yeah. they made that a little bit different in the new one but that was fine like chuetta legia four did fine as car with that so i don't know why people were so up in arms about the new one my hot take about the new one is i actually think beyonce was the worst part of it and i love beyonce yeah but say, watch I, it. I don't it, want them coming after us no 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 mm-hmm. but like 
Donald Glover's great and Billy Eichner and James Earl Jones again and Chuetel Edgia for like they're all wonderful in the movie and the new one. But the, the original Lion King will always hold a special place in my heart. Also, the first movie I ever saw in 3D. Well, something that's familiar, especially in this first half of the movies we're talking about, these animated films, everybody thinks these are kids movies. These movies have death in them. Yep. And this isn't, you know, heavy metal type death that it's edgy because we're cool and we're playing some Sammy Hagar and drawing big <laughs> boobs and things like that. No, no, not like that. These movies, death is a big plot point. So the next mm-hmm. movie I'm going to talk about, I am literally only talking about this movie because of how important it was to me growing up, but I actually do not think this is a good movie. As a matter of what? fact, I went back, <laughs> I went back to watch it again not long ago and I didn't get through it. And it was the Transformers movie. I believe it was uh, 1986 is when it came out. If you guys listen to me on Joe on Joe, I wasn't as much in the Transformers as I was G.I. Joe. And I didn't put the G.I. Joe cartoon movie on here because I don't like it either. You guys mentioned that on that podcast. That's not a good movie. (laughs) But the Transformers movie. So there's this great thing. If you have Amazon Prime and you look at it, it's like a, I want to say it's five or it's like some dude's presentation. But basically talking about how the Transformers movie was built off of greed, and he thought it was a good thing. I think it was a bad thing. Because here's, as a kid, and especially my friends that really like Transformers, you want to go watch Optimus Prime and Megatron go beat each other up. That's what you want to see. They both get killed, I mean, 20 minutes into the movie. What? And this movie, I when I was watching it again, and I will tell you where I stopped, it, it is violent as hell. Now, it's robots and things like that. But they are killing each other. Well, the reason they did that is because there's a new line of Transformers coming out. And the company told the people that made the movie, kill all the old ones and bring the new ones and we'll sell a whole bunch of new ones. Well, I didn't give a damn about any of the new ones. So once my old ones were all dead, I stopped watching. And there's a couple of things about the movie, two weird things in particular. It's Orson Welles' last movie role ever. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) He did the voice of the big planet-eating robot thing or whatever. If anybody's ever seen Boogie Nights, there's a scene where Mark Wahlberg, the, you got the touch! Yeah, yeah. That song is from the Transformers movie. Oh, boy. (laughs) Wow. So I remember as a kid kind of watching it and being like, to me, even though Transformers was a big thing, I saw that movie. That was the end for me. But as I get older and think about it and the legend around this thing, how much brass balls do you have to have to take your most famous characters and so you know what? we're going to kill them all. That's some you, Game of Thrones type stuff. Yeah, man. that's why I brought up Transformers the movie. It's like I said, I tried to revisit it. I've even gone back to watch a GI Joe movie, which I enjoy a little bit more ironically, even though sure. I think it's kind of stupid. The Transformers one, I just could not, could not get beyond because I'm like, I don't know who any of these other characters are. I never followed them afterwards, and it's like, yeah, who cares? That's weird that they would make a movie and like again, I don't know much I know as much about Transformers as I do about G.I. Joe, but they kill Optimus Prime and uh whatever the other dude's name or the other Transformers name is Megatron. right away. Like is that that's some <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you said that very that's some uh that's except Game of Thrones is way better, but that's some Game of Thrones type stuff yeah. right there. The fact that they killed Ned Stark in season one like blew me away when I yeah. watched it. So for them to do that on Transformers 
They were doing that before Game of Thrones was doing it, it sounds like. With a movie like The Lion King and with Transformers movie, death is part of the story. Death is mm-hmm. part of the story. Next movie, you have Death is the Story. So yeah, that's what I'm starting to realize as I look through this movie. A lot of the, not a lot of them, all the movies I put down have some kind of significance with me and my wife or me and my son. Because my son likes to go to theaters. That's one thing when, even if it's a year or two down the road, him and I both like to go to theaters together. And I even took my daughter to see this movie, but the movie's Coco. Coco's all about this young boy, Miguel, going to the world of the dead. The movie centers around the Mexican holiday, Dio, Dia de los Muertes, the Day of the Dead. It's like Halloween, but not Halloween. It's a holiday they celebrate, and young boy Miguel has to go there to try and find his... He, he loves music, but his family hates it because music tore their family apart. As you go through, it's all about this boy trying to follow this famous musician who he's grown up loved and music's kind of always been his passion, but he has to hide it from everybody, but he's a really good guitar player and getting chills thinking about it right now. But the stuff that comes out where you find out that this guy he looked up to actually killed his grandfather who wrote this song, remember me in the movie, which is this famous song. He killed his grandfather. He took all his grandfather's fame away from him. And the little boy, the whole time he's interacting with one of these dead people he starts to realize that that's his grandfather and Coco is his grandma and his grandma is starting to get old and she doesn't have a memory. So he's starting to kind of unfold all the unfold this mystery throughout the movie. And the movie's beautiful. It's this vibrant, super colorful movie. It's like guardians of the galaxy two times 10 with how colorful and how bright and how vibrant this movie is. And you see Miguel go through this world of the dead and Pixar did such a good job creating this whole other world, this world of skeletons and the way they portrayed all that. But again, with, with Lion King, with this movie Coco, it goes back to the music and this, this little boy just wanting to play guitar and play music and finds out all this stuff about his real grandfather and plays this famous song, Remember Me. And at the end, he's playing it to his grandma Coco and she starts singing it and the family realizes how important it was. And at that part in the theaters, my son and I are both just bawling our eyes out. My daughter came with us to see it. She was probably like two and she asked if we were okay because she didn't know what was going on. But my son and I are just sitting there crying our eyes out at how moving and beautiful it was. When we left the theater, I remember asking him, so what would you think? He was like, I loved it. Maybe one day I can learn to play guitar like Miguel. It was sad, but it was happy sad. And I was like, I know. So him and I had this like, he was, I want to say six at the time the movie came out. But him and I, he and I had this long conversation, this like in-depth conversation about death and life and dealing with everything after seeing this movie Coco. And I get to share that with him now because him and I, my wife refuses to watch it. My daughter has no interest in it, but him and I can sit down and watch that movie together. And it's something we share and it has beautiful colors in it and probably the second best music behind Lion King of any Disney or Pixar movie that's been put out there. You talk about that with your son and kind of these deep, deep subjects. And you see this again, I, I feel like I'm praising and criticizing Disney and Pixar at the same time, <laughs> that they're very, very good at doing that, at taking these animated films. And it's uh, bringing really, really heavy subjects into it. I mean, well, Inside Out's a great example of that. The one I struggled with trying to figure out, and I picked Coco because of the relationship with my son and I that we had with it. The other one I thought about was Wally. And you want to talk yeah. about post-apocalyptic nightmarish world. That's mm-hmm. all Wally is. Well, there's a movie, it's a movie I think of in, in my head, and it's a movie called The Secret of Nim. I don't even know if you've heard of this movie. The, or three, not, but... movie, the three movies you mentioned in this first half, I have no idea about them. Okay, well, the, fir- the first, so Heavy Metal, again, a lot of it is being a young boy 
and seeing that movie has mm. an effect on you. Okay. Yes. I mean, it, it definitely does. In the case of The Secret of Nim here, this is, first off, it was, I believe it was the first movie by Don Bluth. Now, Don Bluth was a former Disney guy, worked in that later classical period. I think he did, like, Robin Hood, a few other movies. And then he went out on his own. I think Spielberg helped him with a few movies. But he's probably more known that he created the Land Before Time movies. Um, he did Thumbelina. He also did, there's a movie of Dragon's, or not the movie, the video game Dragon's Lair and Space Ace which were games they had in the second season of Stranger Things, where you have the guy, it's all a little cartoony. My point is, Don Bluth has a very distinct style. Oh, An American Tale. That's the other movie he's really, really known for, which I almost put that movie on here. But the reason why I go back to The Secrets of Nim, it's another movie obviously deals with very heavy issues like death and things like that. And it's about all these super intelligent rats that live in like this rose bush. But one of the rats, her son is sick and they have to, he can't move the house, but they got to get the house out before the farmer bulldozes it. All these other big things. It's, there's like a bad cat and there's these people and there's a big fight at the end and a mother's love saves her son, all this other thing. I didn't realize till I was much later because they call these the rats of Nim. And they say, due to certain experimentation, they're super intelligent. I didn't learn later that NIM stands for the National Institute of Mental Health, and oh. this, which is a real thing that does experiments on rats. Oh, wow. This movie, this kid's movie, again, that is already dealing with very heavy things about family and death and survival and all this stuff, is literally an anti-animal testing type movie. Nice. <laughs> and so it's, and I go back and I went just recently because a lot of people are talking about it because they're going to make a CGI remake of it here soon. Mm. And this is a great movie. And the, my issue with the CGI remake is Don Bluth is known for his style. I mean, you watch a Don Bluth movie and you know that that's him. That's the way he, that's the way he draws things. But it's the storyline itself and this very, very kind of, subtle way of telling me as a kid that you know what it might be cruel to the animals to be testing on them i kind of want to check that one out now the three you mentioned that seems like the one i'd be most into. oh it, and, it is it, and it's a great movie it really is an american tales another one that i tell people yeah. just about the american like immigration experience and that's mm. probably his most famous movie but secret in them i think is really great i think that's a a good way to teach somebody is to show them a movie like that This is Ty Kulik. Uh, I will be leading you into your break today. As always, we want to thank our sponsor for the website, SeedSing. Um, that's S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G. They allow us to you know, put everything out there that we put out there. They allow me to write all my pop culture that I write for the website. It's an awesome website. Uh, with that being said, we're looking for donors and for sponsors. So if you could throw a couple dollars our way and sponsor us, we'd, we'd greatly appreciate it. And we are always also looking for new writers. We will not censor you unless you're an extremely hateful person. But yeah, we will not censor you. And we always want new writers to come write for the website. So check us out. Once again, that's SeedSing.com. S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G. Back to the conversation. We talked a lot about death, and unfortunately, almost all these movies have death involved in them one way or the other, mm -hmm. which I'm still trying to figure out why does great animated films have 
death involved everywhere. But even, well, even the last one that I'm going to talk about, the last movie I'm going to talk about, totally ridiculous. But there's a death in that. <laughs> yeah, now, granted, yeah. that character comes back, but there was a death in that as well. Yeah, I almost feel like that. And when we talk about, it, I almost feel like that was a joke about death in all these cartoon movies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well superhero movies especially have death all over them i mean that's how the something with the hero is because somebody died or things like that movies we're going to talk about here that i think of their given superhero stuff these are their best versions are their animated movies and that's saying a lot because i think their live action versions are extremely good too which again we'll get to but before as kind of almost a palate cleanser let's talk about something that's fairly original of everything we've talked about, there's some original stories, obviously, things like Heavy Metal and uh, Coco and stuff like that. These are stories that people have taken and created from other properties, but they're not as well-known stories. Mm. But there's an animated movie that came out not long ago, and it's a film that I don't think gets a lot of love, but you talk to people that have seen it, and they do love it. And yes, before somebody corrects me, it is based off of a Marvel comic book, but when you read the story, and after you talk about this movie, but you read it, when Disney decided to make this movie, they they purposely took really obscure Marvel titles so they could make the story whatever they want. So what you're about to talk about is not what's in the comic. So again, I talked a lot in the first half about seeing movies when my wife was pregnant or taking my son to see movies. And this the movie I'm going to talk about here was actually the first movie he ever saw in the theater. It was on my, I don't know, like 31st or 32nd birthday. My wife, what do you want to do? I said the movie Big Hero 6 comes out on my birthday. Let's take our son to see his first movie in the theater. I'd wanted to see it because I thought the trailer looked really cool. And we took him. We, we all, me, my wife, her cousin, and my son, we all went to see the movie the day it came out. Big Hero, we all saw Big Hero 6 the day it came out. And it's one of the coolest, as you said, most original movies I have ever seen. I didn't know until a couple of years afterward that it had to do with Marvel because my son got a book and it said something on the cover, like based on the Marvel comic, which I had no idea. But Big Hero 6, again, pretty straightforward disney type story kid's a genius he loves his older brother his brother's smarter than him he's trying to teach him all the ways his brother gets killed in what it quote unquote looks like an accident by somebody they all trust and the kid kind of loses his way he's living with his i believe aunt in the movie who's voiced by Maya rudolph in it he's kind of losing his way but he's so smart she doesn't want him to do that he kind of goes and fights with these robots and these like backyard type fighting things He eventually goes to college, the same school his brother went to, because all his brother's friends want him to go there. They know how smart he is, and they form their superhero team, Big Hero 6, to fight this person who killed his brother. But in while doing that, he creates a robot named Baymax, who's like a nurse robot, supposed to be a helpful robot. And for people who watch 30 Rock or watch Saturday Night Live or know anything, Scott Adsit who played Pete on that. He wrote on SNL for many years. He's the voice of Baymax. Baymax is the name of the nurse robot in this movie. And Baymax the whole time is just trying to teach him, teach the young boy, like fighting maybe isn't the answer. You shouldn't do that. Your brother wouldn't have wanted you to do that. He wouldn't have want you to be so angry. He'd want you to move on. And again, my son wasn't even three when we took him to see this movie, but I remember all of us having in-depth conversations with him and like, him saying to me, oh, dad, what would you do if one of your brothers, would you be upset if one of your brothers died? I'm like, of course I'd be. I'd be devastated just like he was in the movie. So yes, it was a superhero movie and that was the pull to get my son to go in there. But with Secret and Nim or with Coco or anything we've mentioned before, it had 
these other stories that led to super in-depth in-depth conversations with my son with my wife and big hero six just it's a cool interesting movie i know they turned it into a cartoon on like cartoon network or disney channel or something now that's a really interesting cartoon but the movie especially baymax always just kind of will stay with me because it's the first movie my son saw in the theaters but it's also a very touching story about brothers and because i have three older brothers so it's just a touching story about brothers and the bond that brothers have yeah and the last movie i talk about actually there's some similarities with big hero six and this is another movie the only reason i saw it is because the real estate agent that sold our last house and sold us the house i live in now he has all of his clients he has one movie a year that he you know rents out a movie theater for and that's the only reason i saw this movie <laughs> and it's and i i've never forgotten about it i've actually watched bits and pieces of it again this isn't a commercial for disney plus they're welcome to give us money but yeah i've watched it a few times there something else i want to say about big hero six that i think is really interesting is it takes place in a it's called san Francisco or something like yep, that san Francisco, and it's really a kind of a, a mixture of california and japan type situation that's blade runner that's Los oh, Angeles yeah. Blade Runner. So it's You're funny. Right. I always tell people, I always think of them as the same city. Just everything we see in Blade Runner is at nighttime, and everything we see in uh, Big Hero <laughs> 6 is during the day. <laughs> it looks a lot. But I've always, I always caught that. I always, it was just one of those weird little things about Big Hero 6 that I thought. I never thought of that until right now. Yeah, <laughs> never thought of that until right now. That's the only way I'm going to be able to see that movie. And I want to see somebody make a movie where they do. Big Hero 6 at daytime. Blade <laughs> yeah. At daytime. So in my world, uh, you know, Richard Decker lives inside of the same world and Baymax lives inside that same world also. <laughs> that would be an awesome world to check out for sure. <laughs> so with the other superhero movies, like we said, and there's been a ton of different superhero cartoons and all, all sorts of stuff that most of the movies go direct to video. But the two, I would argue, if I had to say who are the three biggest superheroes of my life growing up, it's Batman, Superman, and Spider-Man. Mostly, especially nowadays, I still think Batman and Spider-Man are the biggest, mainly because they've had a lot of big screen adaptations. Now, I'll tell you, prior to 2008, nobody gave a crap who Iron Man was. And all credit to Marvel and Robert Downey Jr. for changing that. John Favreau as well. Yes, yes. But for the most part... Batman, you had the Michael Keaton movies, and then you had the bad movies, and then you had the Christopher Nolan movies. And like I said, you take Batman, Batman Returns, and all three of the Dark Knight films, those are great movies. But I think Bat the Lego Batman movie may be the best Batman movie ever. I think I agree with you because of how on the nose everything they do is purposefully. They make fun of everything from all the big talks about how... He only deals in two different colors, black and very dark gray, <laughs> talking about how he has a nine pack because he's so ripped and how he needs to be alone all the time. And all the scenes of him kind of like grappling with that loneliness and wanting to have a family and eating his lobster thermidor all by himself and hearing echoes and Michael Sarah as Robin just wanting to be involved and wanting to be with him and. I believe it's Rosario Dawson who plays the new police chief who takes over. She's really good in that role, too. But, like, Batman kind of tries to skirt her and doesn't want anything to do with her. But what I love most about Lego Batman movie is the relationship between him and Joker. It's just so funny. It's so hilarious. I think it takes all... Like, I love Bane. I love Heath Ledger's Joker. I think they're great villains. But I think Zach Galifianakis' Joker 
is like my version of the greatest Batman villain where you say this is the best Batman movie. I think Joker is the best Batman villain and everything they do with the movie. It's just funny. It's goofy. I love how they make fun of all the other Batman movies and how dark and brooding they are. Will Arnett does a fantastic job as the voice of Batman in this movie. There's not enough good things to be said about the Lego Batman and the, all the Lego movies for that matter. But I also think this is the best Lego movie oh, that's ever been made as well. Yeah, and I know people are going to say, I mean, how can you say it's better than The Dark Knight? First off, we're talking about two very, very different movies. But yeah. I, if if I was going to sit down to anybody and they just came out from under a rock and they said, what's this whole Batman thing? I'd show them the Lego Batman movie. Mm-hmm. And then you show them something like The Dark Knight and going, look, there's interesting ways you could take this character. But the whole history of that character and everything about it, they do such a good job. And for me, being a bit of a little dork about these things, I love the fact that they go up to Superman's Fortress of Solitude and all the rest (laughs) of the heroes are like, man, this dude's a downer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They don't invite him to any parties. Yeah. It does such a good job of taking this character that we take so damn seriously, but realizing, look, there's a bad guy named Condiment King and Kite Man Uh, and Calendar Man that this dude fights. That's why I tell people, I think if you really just want to get down to what Batman's all about, that is far and away the best movie to watch. Well, and it covers almost every single era of Batman, Mm -hmm. which is a cool thing, too, that they're able to do that. And it's fun and funny and... Like, I love, like, again, I love The Dark Knight. I love Dark Knight Rises, but those movies I'm exhausted afterward. After Lego Batman, I'm like, all right, let's watch something else or let's do something else. Now, the other one, Spider Man, is there. And I, so I I really, obviously, Spider Man, Spider Man 2, the Tobey Maguire movies, very good. Spider Man 3, for all everything everybody hates about it, it has its moments. It's, I don't agree with that. I think that's pretty awful. It is awful, <laughs> yes, but it has there. There are parts of it that I'm like, ah, it's not so bad, and then I see another part of it, and I'm like, ah, it's pretty bad. The Andrew Garfield movies, I actually feel about those the same way I feel about the Star Wars prequel or sequel movies. In that, I think they're fine. I just think they're unnecessary. And I've I seen, don't like them. I think they're too boring. I, yeah, they are a bit slow. But I, I'm gonna say, I've never really hated them anyway, one way or the other. But then Sony makes the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which I have said a lot about. When you and I said the 10 best superhero movies ever, this was number one to me. And there's a couple of reasons for it. But in the case of Spider-Man, like I said with Batman, even though this isn't a quote-unquote Peter Parker movie, it's Miles Morales' movie, it is about, I mean, the whole point of that movie is anybody can be the hero. You just have to make that leap of faith. And yes, yes, Miles and Peter Parker and Peter Parker and Penny Parker and all of them, they all have some kind of little power in there, but they had to step up. They had to do it. And that scene, that leap of faith scene that they do in the movie is far and away. I mean, getting chills talking about it. The greatest like superhero scene moment I have ever seen. Plus the way that movie looks. Yeah. Looks like a comic book. Yes. When I talk about these superhero movies, and I know Spider-Verse is very new, and people could say, well, you're just a prisoner of the moment. I walked out of that movie just blown away and said, this is easily the best Spider-Man movie ever, probably the best superhero movie ever. There's very few movies that I will say are perfect. Like Every movie, even my favorite movies, they have... You know, Napoleon Dynamite has lulls in it. There's some stuff in Big Lebowski that maybe didn't need to make the final cut. I feel like Spider-Verse is perfect there's nothing i would have taken out of that movie 
you mentioned the look. I think the look is great. I took my son, daughter, and our father to see it. Of course, my son was super stoked when he found out that this Spider-Man was named Miles. Mm -hmm. And he even said to me, oh, Spider-Man isn't always white, huh, Dad? And I'm like, yeah, he's not always white. He's also not always a he. He can be a she, or he can be a pig, or he can be (laughs) something else, which I thought that was cool that they did that. I like that Dr. Octopus in the movie was a female character as well. I thought it was cool to see that take on it. The other main bad guy in that movie, I cannot think of his name right now. Uh, Kingpin, his story, his backstory, I found almost moved me to tears because he lost his family and that's what turned him insane. And I can relate with that if you're to lose your family. I think that would kind of turn me insane. But yeah, like Spider-Verse is one of the rare movies that I would put in the section as like a perfect movie. There's not a problem with that movie. No, now before I get to what I think is the greatest animated film of all time, there's two movies and I put them kind of in the same area here. I'll start off and go to you because I know you expected the best, but both of these films I was hesitant about. I've I've mentioned that with I was hesitant about the one you're going to talk about. So the first one I'm going to talk about is the Peanuts movie. As a very good as a kid, there's two cartoons I really like to read. One was this cartoon called Bloom County, which I was too young to really understand any of it. And uh, Berkeley Breath, who wrote all that, he's uh, reposting some of the old ones, doing some new ones here and there. The other one was. Charles Schultz Peanuts. Peanuts, a lot of people even say is very kind of wholesome and it's not really advanced, but it was always so well done. I always really enjoyed it. Even to the point, every year I've got to watch Charlie Brown Christmas special. Every year I've got to watch as a Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. Now, my son discovered, again, through Disney Plus, that it's the Great Pumpkin Mill House or whatever, the Treehouse of Horrors, <laughs> and he would rather watch that. <laughs> Me too. Me and your son. <laughs> I mean, all these little these peanut specials through the years that have always kind of been part of what I watched. And there's just, there's just a a purity to them. They're perfect. I mean, how they relate to me. And then they're going to make this movie. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's either going to be too kiddy or it's going to be, it's going to try to ape all the other ones and I'm not going to care. And I went to go see the movie and I absolutely adored it. It just showed all the stuff I loved about peanuts it was there. It, it didn't dumb it down. Yeah, Charlie Brown was kind of a sad sack, but he was a hopeful kid. It modernized some of the stories to the point, but I, I just got to say, I, every time I sit and I think about it, or if I'm just going through channels and I see the Peanuts movie on, I have this great feeling because I know I'm going to sit there and something I loved as a kid, I'm going to watch as an adult and still think it's great. This is my, I guess my Lion King from the first half. I've only ever seen the movie once. Watching, I thought, I'm not going to like this. This isn't going to be for me. But after it was done, I just, like, I felt good. Like, I knew I'd watched something that was well done. Again, the animation for this was really cool, I thought, too. It reminded me of the comic strip, which I didn't read too much. I do remember you reading Bloom County and thinking, I don't know what the hell this means. <laughs> but, no, it's, it's like you said, it was wholesome. It was sweet. It was kitty. But that's what I think Peanuts is. And I think they did a good job with the movie. The Simpsons movie... Mm-hmm. This is a simple thing everybody says. It's a just a long episode of The Simpsons. It's yep. great. Mm-hmm. I'll <laughs> take 90-minute episodes of Simpsons any day. Even at the very beginning, Homer's saying, why are we paying to watch something that we could yep. watch at home for free? <laughs> mm-hmm. But you're the expert on this stuff. I was hesitant, and I was like, oh, and I sat back and like, and there's a couple of movies we'll talk about at the end here, too, but nothing. I don't think anything. This is going to sound so strange. I had very little hope for the Simpsons movie. I really did. I thought it was going to be a, a black stain on a great show. 
but it get out of here. It is up there with the monorail, with behind mm-hmm. the laughter, with any other Simpsons episode. So the Simpsons movie I saw with you on opening day. Mm-hmm. We went, I believe, at eleven o'clock showing at some theater. I saw it the very next day <laughs> with a group of friends. So you paid twice the, for something you can get for free. I <laughs> saw it the day after that with some other friends. So I paid for it three different times. It's not the movie I've seen the most in the theaters. I learned my lesson from Napoleon Dynamite when I saw that six times. So I only saw it three times. But the, the thing with the Simpsons movie, I wasn't as hesitant as you were. I was concerned. I don't know if that's the right word to use. But I was like, I don't know why they're doing this but i know i'm going to like it and then my whatever any any concerns i had went out the window when i heard that everybody was coming back every person who had written on it who had moved on the conan o'briens of the world who had moved on to do their other things they all came back they all contributed in in some way some form of this movie and it shows it is like a culmination of all these great my favorite episode ever of the simpsons is behind the laughter I like the movie just as much, if not more than that. You mentioned the monorail. You can mention any famous Simpsons episode, and I think the movie stands up to it because it is. It's a 90-minute version of the epi- of, of an episode of the show. Being that it's a movie, I got to see Homer Simpson give people the finger. I got to see Marge say, just throw the goddamn bomb in a movie theater. I got to hear these things. I got to see them go to Alaska and the guy hand money to him. And Homer says, well, this for you. what's this for? And the guy says, well, for coming to a beautiful state. And Homer's response is, well, it's about time. <laughs> you know, he's just getting money for doing something. I quote to my wife all the time when we drive by a stop sign. Well, we can't stop at every stop or yelled sign that we see because that's what Homer does to all the signs in there. I mean, the movie is... The show itself is instantly quotable all the time. You and I quote it to each other all the time. We talk about how we do it on here. That's what the movie was filled with. It was filled with quotes. It was filled with stuff. I mean, when Bart hangs out with Flanders and becomes friend with Flanders and takes a picture Homer gave him and drew Ned's face on it. I mean, the stuff like that, it it has all your typical Simpsons beats, your typical, typical Simpsons stuff spread out over 90 minutes and put into a, a huge screen to watch it on a th- like a theater screen. That's a movie I was going to see. I would brave coronavirus right now if the Simpsons came out in the movie theater to go see a, see it in the theater because that's something I want to see on a big screen. And like I said, any concerns I had instantly went out the window the moment the movie started and Homer made that joke. Why would we pay for something we can watch for free? I thought, okay, they're already poking fun at us. That's what the Simpsons do. And the, the names, the people that were in that movie, I mentioned the Tom Hanks scene as one of the greatest throwaway scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Albert Brooks as the bad guy in it who works for the EPA. I mean, it is, again, I talked about how Spider-Verse is perfect. Only the Albert Simps- Brooks' second greatest Simpsons role, right behind <laughs> Hank Scorpio. Yeah, <laughs> please call me Mr. Scorpion. When Homer calls him Mr. Scorpion. But no, like, and well, that's the thing with Albert Brooks in that too. You know, he has, he makes fun of, People who go to Ivy League schools and that. They poke fun at all the type of stuff that they have always poked fun at. They did it for 90 minutes and they completely knocked it out of the park. My concerns went away instantly. Again, another one of the rare perfect movies for me out there. And it's a movie that any time it is on, I stop and watch it. Yeah, it's great. It is. I'm going to tell you about a movie here. Who um, I don't know if you've ever seen this or not. I watched it on your recommendation. It is wonderful. It broke my heart when I saw it. Yes. So the movie's <laughs> The Iron Giants from 1999. And part of this may be personal to me because in late 99, I was 
trying to figure out what the hell to do with my life and just trying to figure all this stuff out. Now, this is Brad Bird's very first film, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. you know, speaking of The Simpsons. Yeah. And it's this little weird Cold War-like movie about this big metal robot, basically. And it's... Uh, Vin Diesel, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Vin Diesel's voice, yeah. yeah. And the movie came out, kind of a big acclaim, had some money behind it, all had a good marketing campaign. Well, some people say it did not have a good marketing campaign. And the movie completely flopped in the theaters. As years have gone on, more and more people have come back to this. And again, the Iron Giant, for people who don't know, the Iron Giant is this alien thing you know machine or whatever that comes to earth but it gets in an accident it gets amnesia and this little boy it kind of you know this is a great toy for a little boy <laughs> but as the creature as the iron giant gets more and more of its memories back it realizes it's a war it's a weapon weapon that's used in a big war and at the same time then this is 1950s you have the government and uh what's his name um shooter mcgavin uh, chris mcdonald yeah. Yeah, you know, just his voice alone makes you know he's a sleazy guy. Mm -hmm. Basically, wants this thing destroyed, and he sent near the end. The creature is being attacked by the army, so it it turns into a weapon. It's just destroying everything, and they launch a nuke uh, nuke at it. The Iron Giant realizes it's the only one that can save everyone, but it's going to essentially kill itself. Because it's going to fly mm-hmm. into a weapon. And the whole movie is kind of this, it's it's the Superman story. The boy keeps yeah. telling these stories of Superman, and the Iron Giant says to him, I'm going to be Superman, goes up there, hits a missile, and is destroyed. Now, they have a little code at the end where it gets back together. But you're right, it is a heart-wrenching film in so many mm-hmm. ways. But it's so, I mean, I, I think about, you can't do this live action. I know uh, the movie uh, Ready Player One. There's one of the characters inside the machine has the Iron Giant and the big battle in there. It's blowing everything up. It sat so wrong with me because the whole point of that movie is it doesn't want to be a weapon. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> no offense towards Spielberg or anyone, but to put that in the movie and people go, hey, remember the Iron Giant? That was cool. Now it's going to blow a bunch of crap up. No, that's not the point of that film. When we talk about all these movies, these people growing, learning, all this other stuff, Hogarth, which is a terrible name, but the little boy in the movie, it's not him learning. He's teaching this other thing, and it's learning. And you go back to the Spider-Verse, and you go back to all this stuff that you can choose to be the hero. You can choose to be the bad guy. You may be built to be the bad guy, but or you can choose to be the good guy. Sorry. And this movie illustrates this better than anyone out there. And you talked about Vin Diesel. Just You take that, and you take Groot. I mean, here's yeah. a guy who can use so few words, but just the way he uses his voice, he can just break your heart. And yep. I mean, all credit to him. And I, I think Vin Diesel's a cool dude and things like that, but it seems like his voice acting work is doing a hell of a lot better than his live action work. And I wish all the best for him, but I, I just had a shout out. Half the reason I'm doing this podcast is so I could talk about heavy metal and the Iron Giant. Well, I feel like the way I've come on our podcast and talked about the movie yesterday or talked about Sorry to Bother You, any other one of these indie movies that I watch, that's, that's, th- this is your version of that. Mm-hmm. You've gone to bat for this movie forever. Like I said, I knew it was out. I knew of Brad Bird. I was like, why do I want to watch a movie about a robot from the Cold War era? And again, I'm glad I watched it and it broke my heart, but I'll watch it again. Yeah, it's it's a movie I will constantly go back to. And I know it was recently somebody was talking to Brad Bird because now he's become 
a pretty well-known yeah. director and he's doing live the action. Incredibles. Yeah, yeah, right. And he's he's doing all these things. And someone asked him, you know, are you ever going to make a sequel to The Iron Giant? Because it does end with like him being assembled. And I really loved his answer. He said, well, first off, the movie flopped in the theater. So I don't think the, the studio is <laughs> a, a, a big supporter of that. He goes, but second off, that's the story. That's yeah. it. That it, it it told the story it had to tell, and I, I respect the hell out of that. Look, I don't mind when people make sequels because money can be made, but there's just this weird. And I'm going to sound like a snob when I say this, but there's weird purity to that movie. Yeah. That that's it. It's that 90 minutes or whatever, and that's the story. It's not snobbery to say that at the end of the Simpsons movie they say something about well, we're going to make a sequel, and Marge says no. One Simpsons movie is enough. That's all you need. Sometimes, sometimes that all you that's all you need is just one. That's, yeah. that's all you need. All right. Was there any other movies you'd thought of? <laughs> I mentioned Wall-E, which I enjoyed. The Incredibles, which are fine, but really, like I said, I don't. When I research this, I don't watch a lot of animated. I watch a lot of animated shows. Simpsons, Bob's Burgers, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, stuff like that. I watch a lot more animated shows than I do movies. Aladdin was one that I could have mentioned on here that I really liked, but no, I think I covered the ones that I would want to cover. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was having trouble thinking of them. And then as I looked at lists, I was like, oh, yeah, the Peanuts movie. I really like that movie. Yeah. Or even on those lists, I looked at Secret of Nim and it, it kind of triggered something in me. I don't know what it is about animated movies. I don't go back. But there is, I know there's a big complaint about Disney Plus is it comes out and there's a Mandalorian. And then there's really nothing. They don't put a lot of new content on there. But something I will say for them is they have an obscene amount of old content on there. Yeah. And I, again, here, this, I'm going to be the clothes and fedoras guy this time. After I thought about like heavy metal and the secret of Nim and these hand drawn animated movies, I've decided to go back and watch some of these old Disney movies. And you watch a movie like Snow White, which I have. I've watched the whole thing. It is gorgeous. I mean, mm. it is a beautiful movie to look at. We all know the story. We all know everything. We know the music, but it is actually a beautiful movie to look at. Or one, I haven't watched the whole thing. I've just watched bits and pieces because the movie itself is kind of slow. But the look of it, Sleeping Beauty, is an amazing movie to look at. There's a, a couple of other ones that I thought of. There's some movies that use a term called, uh, I think it's rotoscoping, where they film the live action actors and then they color over them. And there's oh, a, like um, uh, Scanner Darkly? Yeah, Scanner Darkly is what I was thinking of. That's interesting. The oh, book's way better than the movie. It is. I mean, that's, to, to be that guy, the book is much better. No, you <laughs> are right about that. And they're, they're <laughs> toying with it. There is, again, these are scenes worth checking out. But they, um, there's a guy named Ralph Bakshi, who's another kind of weird uh, animator from like the 1970s. And he did a version. Well, I think, I don't know if it was Don Bluth or somebody did a Hobbit movie, a cartoon <laughs> Hobbit movie. But in the 70s, he was going to do all the Lord of the Rings movies. So this was before Peter Jackson. He uh, did it with the rotoscoping. They didn't do well. I think they only ended up doing the first two or something like that. But you watch. You go to YouTube and you type in, you know, Bakshi Lord of the Rings or rotoscoping Lord of the Rings. It's really cool to look at. The problem is there's a lot of animated stuff that's cool to look at. But the Mm -hmm. stories themselves might not take you in. I think every movie we talked about, the stories kind of took us in. Yeah, definitely. And that can can be a problem. There's something I watch. Oh, and it wasn't animated, but I just saw the movie, uh, the Downton Abbey movie with my wife. Mm -hmm. And 
I was like, this movie's pretty, but yeah. I don't like it. So, like, you know. I wanted to make special mention of these. And if I had added another movie, I would have probably, there's four movies in particular. Of the four, the one I like the most is the Fantastic Mr. Fox. But these are mm-hmm. the stop motion movies. You yeah. know, you have Wes Anderson's done two of them, Isle of Dogs and the Fantastic Mr. Isle Fox. Isle of Dogs is wonderful as well. Yeah. And then you have... Uh, Tim Burton didn't direct either of these. Actually, the same guy directed both, but Tim Burton's sensibilities are there. The Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, the stop motion. And then there's like the Wallace and Gromit movies. So, well, we also didn't talk about uh, South Park, Bigger, Longer, oh, and Uncut, yeah. or yeah. Beavis uh, and Butthead. Team. Yeah, our Team America, yeah. World Police. You yeah. Know? But yeah. Yeah. So, and those are all great. I mean, the Beavis and Butthead movie is like the Simpsons movie for me. That movie's way yeah. better than I thought it was going to be. Well, and like the South Park movie is, you know, essentially a longer version of South Park and unedited. So there's stuff out there. Yeah. If uh, people need to, I don't know, find to tell you that you're wrong about, I don't know what you're wrong about. Maybe they have to yell at me. So they have to find me. Uh, How are they going to get in touch with you, Todd? Uh, Yeah, if they want to yell at me about something and tell me I'm stupid for liking a Simpsons movie or whatever, you can find me on Twitter at Ty Kulik, T-Y-K-U-L-I-K, all lowercase. Same name on Facebook, same name on Instagram. You can also find me on the website Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. I write five days a week there. I've been writing about a ton of movies, not just animated movies, because I've been watching a ton of movies while on while in quarantine. And I know, oh, Missouri's opening up. I'm still going to be watching movies. I don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. And then you can find me on this podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. Rate, review us. Tell your friends to listen to us and rate and review us. And then all of you go check us out on Patreon. And I do want to tell the listeners that come June 5th, I'm going to be dedicating the entire following week to talking about Run the Jewels 4. <laughs> so just be prepared for a lot of Run the Jewels 4 content starting after the week of June 5th. Well, we can all look forward to that. And uh, <laughs> obviously echo all that. Go to Patreon, xmillennialman, uh, seedsing.com. <laughs> Go check out Joe on Joe and my conversation with yeah. him. Check out all his conversations, but especially mine. And it's uh, next week. We are going to be talking. It's all last dance because that deserve, wait. deserves yeah. to be talked about. So with all that being said, we thank you guys for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. Remember, we're here every Saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. And Ty, stay safe, stay clean, and I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, you stay safe. Everybody wash your hands. And even with places opening, don't rush out there. Stay home longer if you can. Yeah, nothing's changed from two months ago, people. So don't take all of a sudden. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Ty. Thank you. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSane.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.